Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling ideas in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week, we're continuing our watch through of The Magicians, looking at Season 1, Episode 8, The Strangled Heart. Britt, what happens in this episode? So, returning from Break Bill South, Alice wants to put her and Quentin's sexual contact on hold until the frolicking fox afterglow wears off. But Quentin doesn't love that and switches into Alice's study group, a group that also happens to have Penny in it. Meanwhile, Julia is in rehab and Marina visits her to clear the air slash threaten her. The rehab chaplain is a magician and gives Julia a prayer to a local deity. And Julia learns there can be a better side to magic and magicians who are trying to make the world a better place. Back at Breakbills, Elliot is constantly worried about impressing his new boyfriend, Mike, but eventually reveals that he actually grew up on a farm in Indiana. It's all sweet until Mike pulls a knife from a poor little bunny and tries to kill Quentin. Penny saves Q, as per usual, but is injured in the process. They find out that it was the Virgo blade from Fillory, which makes vines sprout from Penny's wound, making their way to strangle his heart. To save Penny, Q and Alice burn the thing that Penny cares about most, the wrapper of the chocolate Katie gave him the last time they saw each other. Elliot is hurt to find out that Mike is not who he thought he was. And Eliza visits Mike, who is possessed by the beast. He violently murders her and tries to escape. But right before he can kill Fog, Elliot magically breaks Mike's neck. After that, when Quentin asks Fog what they should do now, Fog says that the most likely outcome is that the beast will kill them all now that Eliza is out of the way. The episode ends with Allison Quentin smooching and going up to her room. (laughs) Smooching. Smooch, smooch. Okay, well then, why don't we head into our first section. What magic moment stood out to you this episode? So, Penny saying hell is real and it smells like X body spray. That is very good. It did make me think about when I was Quentin's age and would use Axe body spray for sure. (laughs) Also, him propositioning Professor Sunderland. (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's just a great scene because you know she's good and doesn't do anything and with an inappropriate relationship with her student but the temptation's there the temptation's there (laughs) yeah yeah i mean she probably should have cut it off much more aggressively but penny's certainly an attractive person (laughs) Uh, also i thought It was really interesting that when Marina comes, like, I remember that she visited and everything and that she threatened her if if Julia comes after her again, she will kill her and everyone that she cares about. But I kind of forgot that in that conversation, it really does show that Marina had some care and isn't just violent to be violent because she said, I thought that we could have a drink and hash it out. And she even apologized, which, Mm -hmm. yeah, is something that 
From how Marina acts in so many circumstances, you would think that she would never apologize for anything. But she did apologize and said that there's few people she lets in and she actually liked Julia. Yeah, and I think that her calling on Julia to be better, to, to not apologize for herself, I think shows that she does have a kind of respect for Julia. Yeah, I mean, and and not only respect, but also I think care and all wrapped up in the anger she feels at what break bills did to her and does to other people because she's still mad at Quentin on Julia's behalf, mm-hmm. which, you know, Quentin never did anything to Marina, but she's still mad about it, which, uh, yeah, I think shows both her anger at break bells and what they do and how people from break bells treat her and, and other hedges, but also, yeah, she encourages Julia, no, don't apologize to him, even though Julia should apologize to him <laughs> for what she did. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was just interesting, and, and it shows that she's... She can be extreme and unethical, but she's also practical Mm -hmm. because she's like, there's no blood feud necessary here. As long as you don't come after me, that's fine. We can just walk away, not deal with, you know, not have any future problems. So, yeah, I just I liked that extra character building that they did for her. Absolutely. Also, a great moment was when (laughs) Quentin was talking to Fogg. And he's like, could it have anything to do with the beast? And Fogg says, why would it? And Quentin's like, because it makes more sense than someone new trying to kill me. Which is like, yeah, exactly. Can you imagine? And now there's a new person. <laughs> like, that that always seems to happen with superheroes, it you really know? Does, yes. There's always one or more people trying to kill them. But, uh... In real life, even though this isn't real life, but as we've talked about before, they're very rooted in our American society. Mm -hmm. It's just like, why would someone else be trying to kill me? We already have one person who I don't know why, but wants to kill me. Mm -hmm. Even that is confounding (laughs) enough, imagining someone else just why. And especially Quentin. Mm -hmm. Of anyone who seems ultimately not threatening in any way it's quentin so yeah it would be a shock Mm -hmm. someone wanting to kill marina this is more (laughs) understandable (laughs) i also just thought it was like really interesting even though we don't spend any time with this character gretchen that has a spock body pillow Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's it's just so interesting that they throw this person in and she looks kind of uncomfortable like uh are you judging me and quentin isn't because he has all of these leonard nimoy things on uh vinyl like a complete collection and all of that so it's like he's just as much of a geek as she Mm -hmm. is in this way so that just like kind of sparked some questions in me like why hasn't quentin tried to make friends with her Mm -hmm. or why doesn't he have a crush on her you know like from just that one conversation, it seems like they have more in common than he has in common with anyone. Alice. Yeah. Or or anyone else there. So yeah, it was just kind of an interesting little moment. I'm like, what do you what are you doing, Quentin? Why don't you why don't you say, hey, also, do you wanna hang out and talk about these things? <laughs> because the other people around me just kinda rolled their eyes at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
for me, this scene is one of those places where the the narrative grinds up against the production because I'm just thinking, okay, Gretchen's a character who doesn't have a single line. That probably is so that they don't have to pay her at co-starring rates or, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. So she becomes this, you know, she fulfills a narrative role in showing Quentin buying his way onto Alice's team, but they aren't interested in having her be an actual character. But narratively, you're bringing up these exact correct points that if this character existed in this world, Quentin and her probably would naturally become friends in certain ways, uh, at least based off of what we see. Absolutely. But the last magic moment I really want to talk about is... Just Penny and Quentin's relationship in this episode, Hmm. I think it has kind of like progressed in a a very interesting way because at the beginning of the series, Penny put all of the blame on Quentin for the spell that opened the kind of mirror portal for the beast to come through. Mm -hmm. And then because of that, Quentin fired battle magic at him you know like this was very contentious a lot of animosity and then penny saves quentin or helps him half of the way to get out of that nightmare spell Mm -hmm. and it's not that penny isn't still annoyed with him (laughs) it's just that Yet again, he's saving him. And and I think maybe Penny would do that for anyone. I don't know. Maybe that's just kind of the type of person he is. But it also shows that Quentin is acknowledging that. That Penny is hurt because he helped protect Quentin. Mm-hmm. I owe you a life, a Wookiee life debt. <laughs> and Penny just brushes that off. But... You see in their conversation in that scene when Penny's in the hospital wing that like, well, and actually even starting before that, when they're just in the study group together, Alice leaves and Penny's like, you act like a stalker and then you go out of your way to pretend like you're not interested. Like, stop doing that. He's annoyed at the situation, but he's also giving some helpful advice for him Mm -hmm. he's not nice and he's not going to deliver it in a nice way but he's very observant and insightful and yeah is is against his own will (laughs) it would almost seem trying to help quentin not screw this up more than Mm -hmm. he already is (laughs) and then once he's injured and in the the medical wing their, their conversation is really interesting because I think part of it has to do with Penny's psychic abilities, but I think another part of it is just that he understands people and, and Quentin in particular, because Quentin just starts saying, I keep thinking, and Penny finishes the beast. Like, he, he's already on that train of thought as well. And when Quentin says, is there anyone you'd like me to call for you? Parents, siblings, parole officer. Like, Penny gives just the slightest smile at that joke. Mm -hmm. Instead of an eye roll, it's like a slight smile. And then he says, no, Quentin, if she cared, she'd be here. And so it's like, in that scene, they're actually communicating a fair amount without 
completely sane sentences or what they're <laughs> thinking. And then on the, the flip side, I think Quentin is understanding Penny here because Alice says that Penny's not sentimental and Quentin replies, maybe he's carefully crafted that image, mm-hmm. which is a thousand percent true of Penny. And Alice says, I, I don't even think he cares that Katie's gone. But Quentin's like, trust me, he does. And so, yeah, I, I just think it's interesting that even despite their annoyance at each other and the ways that they're very different people, I think that they actually understand each other in, yeah, interesting ways considering where, where they're not really friendship, but where their association started. Yeah, absolutely. It very much is that they were thrown together because of circumstance. They are people who naturally would not like and do not like each other. But the fact that they both have the Beast as a priority in their lives, Mm -hmm. not to mention they're both acclimating to break bills as first years at the same time, means that they do ultimately spend a lot of time together and at times rely on one another and then have curiosity about one another. They learn about one another. And, you know, this goes back to the idiom that we kind of talk a lot about, but the the more you know someone, the more you're going to love them, the more you're going to care about them. And we see these two characters getting to know one another more and more, and that doesn't necessarily take away the annoyances that they have, but it does kind of increase, I think, their ability to be compassionate to one another. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so those were my magic moments. What about you? Well, I did really love the design of the rose vines in Penny's Wound. Mm. I thought that the the graphics there and the idea of that kind of wound was just really interesting. Totally. The comment about it not being as whimsical (laughs) as Mm. you would imagine it being when you actually see it. It's like, oof, that's... Because it's not just vines, but it's thorns, too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I've seen a poisonous wound causing, like, black veins coming out of it in a million different series. But (laughs) this takes that same kind of idea, but it makes it more visually interesting and more thematically interesting, too. Because, yeah, it it highlights and illustrates how the dangers of Fillory are much more than the dangers of a children's book. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I appreciated a few moments where we just see kind of the way that Elliot does everything, does everything, but how he kind of lives in and in many ways owns parts of the cottage. You know, the the fact that he has his bartending area, which we've seen a couple times, um, but how he takes over the entire dining room of the cottage just for his date when there's <laughs> totally. a dozen people or more who live there and he's just like no no this is this is what's happening um <laughs> he and makes then, quentin move with the exactly <laughs> he, he he comes to quentin asks him a question quentin can't help him and so he just tells quentin to go away and quentin eventually does do that i know it's so great he like barely says anything and he's just like leave and he's like i was here first and Elliot just very slightly looks to the side, and then Quentin does. 
Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, it's interesting to see the kind of status that Elliot has within the, the cottage. Exactly. And I think that's really powerful considering the more and more that we learn about Elliot, and particularly in this episode, when he talks about becoming himself and creating himself and how isolated and, you know, a fish out of water he was for most of his life. Now he is someone who the water around him transforms to to please, you know, like he he is the master of that environment. And I think that's that's really great part of his character and and really meaningful the more that we learn about him. Yeah, absolutely. And just, yeah, a couple of his lines when Quentin is like, maybe I seduced her. And he just goes, please. <laughs> yes. And then he says to Alice, getting drunk and porking a dungeon master is nothing to be ashamed of. Which yeah. is just a great line. <laughs> and also because it sounds like Elliot's been there himself. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm sure he has. Yeah, and and just... You know, the last thing on him is just the, the tragedy of seeing him falling for Mike. And... I mean, okay, he's going to be my... From another point of view, so... Okay, that, I'll just leave it there, and then we, we can talk yeah. more about him. Then let's get into our setting and society section. What did you have to bring up for this section? When Quentin was sewing the doll to look like Penny. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, is that a turban? Like, <laughs> I love it because he was in Quentin's subconscious mm-hmm. dream state that was racist towards him. So Penny is fully aware and suspicious of an action that's racist or stereotyping of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's just going to call it out when he sees it. Well, I mean, he, he did ask, but mm-hmm. if, if it had been a turban, I'm sure he would have had some things to say. So I just, course, I appreciated yeah. that that was continued, that is again bringing up Penny is an Indian American, and when people would see him and assume that he is not from the United States, like, this is a problem. So, yeah, it's it's just another great little reminder that... um, Yeah, he's been othered his whole life. Yeah, he's been othered his whole life, and, yeah, there's there's intersectionality going on, even Mm -hmm. if it's not talked about all the time. Totally. And then the other main thing I was thinking about for setting in society is kind of the philosophies that we have been talking about a bit more over the past several episodes of break bells as well as hedge communities and power and control and Mm. this is what magic is or that you gain the control over yourself or others your environment and how hedges can have maybe a similar structure. We haven't seen that many of them. Maybe that's more how Marina runs hers, where she is at the Mm -hmm. top and gets to be the gatekeeper for additional magic that she had learned. But here, when Julia is talking with Richard at the rehab, we're introduced to a completely new, whether it's a philosophy, maybe mythology of magic, Mm. that it is a set of tools left over from creation 
it's from the gods because they had the power to bend reality to make and unmake things and that's what magic is yeah and this idea that it is meant to be shared Mm -hmm. and to help people that it is a giving type of tool not something to be controlled or hoarded yeah which is great because julia's reaction to that idea is still coming from more the mindset of where she first learned magic in Marina's safe house where she says won't god be pissed we touched his tools without asking mm. <laughs> would marina be pissed absolutely <laughs> but mm, yeah richard says no they didn't do this by accident they purposefully left left this so i thought it was really interesting and really cool because well you know we've seen different magic do both kind of novel things like the little storm cloud that Julia made one time or practical things like getting money out of an ATM or... Mm. Keeping you warm with a miniature sun, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, keeping you warm, nailing a nail perfectly straight into a board, you know. So it's like we've seen some different types of magic, but I think the moment with Julia after she did the prayer sort of magic and this local deity responded it was like a beautiful moment of magic Mm -hmm. it yeah i think it was pretty contrasted from a lot of the other magic that we've seen from how it, it was shot from the light that comes in from the music that starts that this was a completely new experience for julia and something that was really affecting yeah, it was beautiful for what it was rather than for its utility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I, I just, I appreciate that it's showing that not all magicians are either in academia or just trying to get their hands on more magic. Mm-hmm. Because Richard says, I'm a very good magician and I do this. There are people mm-hmm. out there who are trying to learn about the world and make it a better place. And you can be one of those people. You can be a dealer or you can stay here and be nothing. You get to choose. So, yeah, I just I thought that it was really a great moment for building into the setting of the world of the magicians that there are alternative ways of thinking about magic and doing magic and alternative goals and ideals that magicians have absolutely yeah really fascinating perspective and character to bring in particularly for julia Mm-hmm. yeah and and i think a, a big part of it where break bills and you know i understand it's a university and so they're teaching very specific skills and knowledge so that that's what their students can gain but i think richard yeah has a more abstract idea around magic what what he's gained from that i think he puts into his work with recovering addicts because he said that you can change everything about your circumstances but the one thing you won't have changed is you we need something or someone to lean on that is bigger than ourselves and yeah, I think that it, for him, he got, he got that from magic. Like, it is a bigger thing to tap into and be a part of than just whatever 
is only in your little individual life, you know? Mm-hmm. I really appreciate new ideas being brought in to what magic is, could be, and, um, yeah, a, a much more altruistic and um, healing sort of, of space. Totally, yeah. What about you? What are you noticing about the setting in society in this episode? Well, I did notice how... Fogg mentions that now that they're in their second semester, their workload is going to be doubled. Mm-hmm. And it did remind me a little bit of my experience in grad school. In my program, we started off with a class that's like an introduction to graduate studies that really laid down a lot of the methodological and theoretical basis of studying history. And then after that, I started taking more of the intense historical classes, which had a much higher workload of typically a book per week per class. And, you know, certainly students had different kinds of schedules of of when they were taking classes and how many classes they were taking each semester. It definitely was a scale up moving into, you know, once you had the basics down, actually getting into the nitty gritty of the work and building on top of that, that scaffolding, building on top of that, those basics. So it was interesting to see that happening at Breakables as well. I also thought it was really fascinating to see, though obviously awful for the bunny, but to see the rabbit used as a package, essentially. Aw, the poor bunny was so cute. <laughs> I remember the first time I watched the show, I was just like, no, bunny, go away. Don't do that. You hop towards that man and you're getting killed. And yeah, that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, it's just, you know, I take it as this is a delivery from Fillory. It's bringing Mm -hmm. the Fillorian blade over. So we are starting to learn about the different pathways into and, I guess, out of Fillory. And there are clearly lots of limits on them. But one of the ways to get around those limits is through living creatures. Mm -hmm. Uh, In particular, a creature like a rabbit, which I can imagine existing a lot in a place like Fillory. So... Yeah, just it it opens up some interesting questions about what those rules are, how they can be twisted, or how people can get around them. Yeah, and I think reveals something about the beast, right? That he clearly views magic in the way of control. And Mm -hmm. you're controlled or you're the controller. And I'll use this bunny, I'll utilize it as a tool for whatever I want. Absolutely, yeah. And the last thing I want to talk about briefly is you mentioned how Penny calls Quentin out for acting like a stalker and then acting like he's not interested. Mm -hmm. It just, I think, highlights some of the really problematic and damaging messages that many young men in our society receive of what romance is supposed to be and how to show your interest and, of course, what you are entitled to. Mm-hmm. All of that, I think, is actually a really good element of characterization because these are things that do not make Quentin likable. They are things that make Quentin, in many ways, archetypical as this kind of entitled outsider with a great deal of privilege, but also a frustration that he doesn't automatically gain women's attention or attention the way that he wants it. And 
that there are like ways to act in order to kind of get what you want and that you have to kind of do these performances rather than having honest conversations, respecting boundaries, you know, actually having interpersonal respect and communication. And on this watch through for me, that that's making Quentin more interesting, even as, again, I, I don't find it likable aspects of his character. The fact that the production, the, the writers, the showrunners, the producers, the actor are choosing to incorporate this in, it just makes me have more, yeah, thoughts and questions about Quentin as a character, Quentin's perspective of the world and his place in it, and the other people in it. Yeah, I just think it's it's something that is very widespread in our society because in large part of the, the awful messages that we get from media. And so, you know, show that we've talked about how the characters are all very media literate. They are characters who understand the media of our world. To see Quentin being affected by that media in ways that are realistic is really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Totally. And it makes a lot of sense, too. It's like a consistent thing that Quentin's doing because remember how he was punishing Julia for not having romantic feelings for him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, somebody who would be happy that they're... Maybe not happy, but, like, would prefer their friend be kept away because they don't like them uh, than have this Mm -hmm. opportunity to engage with magic. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's that's clearly shows a lot of problems. And, yeah, it's, it's a good thing that they're continuing to have that because it's rare that it would ever just show up in one instance (laughs) rather than be Mm -hmm. a more underlying problem that would need to be addressed. And yeah, I think that's really juxtaposed to Penny because Penny uses words and sometimes has some attitudes that are toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. Like saying Quentin's being a pussy or maybe being more annoyed at Quentin with Taylor Swift in his head or, you know, whatnot. Yeah. Yet, in how he actually treats Katie and how he actually engages with that relationship, he respects what she says, what she does, what she wants. He doesn't try to go after her, even as he's maybe going to die he Mm -hmm. doesn't want to just pull her back in if she left for a reason yeah yeah that's interesting considering how both of the characters would maybe come off at first glance Mm -hmm. but once you take a look at their actions uh, it tells a interesting story yeah totally that's really interesting Okay, well, why don't we head into our next section on themes and schemes? I was really thinking about vulnerability and Hmm. being guarded as a response to emotional pain. Because this episode is called The Strangled Heart. And we're having multiple people really deal with emotional pain. Hmm. Penny is still in the aftermath of being abandoned in a way and not knowing where this person that he loves is and knowing that they didn't even talk to him before they left you know and Elliot is 
showing vulnerability, something that nobody else at Breakbills knows but Margot, where he's from, and something that he he wants to keep hidden, and then finds out that this person, you know, was possessed the entire time, and they're using him, you know? And so, yeah, I just, I think the whole symbolism of the Virgo blade that there's this wound and it's like a literal wound that if left to do what it will, it will strangle their, their heart and hurt them in the process. Mm -hmm. And I think that, yeah, there, there's several conversations that are happening between different characters that go into that theme of vulnerability and purposeful distance. Like Alice says when she's talking to Penny that people are generally disappointing and he says yeah be ready to pull a ripcord at a moment's notice and so it's mm -hmm. like okay this clearly seems like this is how he's been and maybe things were different with Katie now that's gone and he's trying to deal with it Quentin also tells Elliot I've never seen you care about something and he says things aren't usually worth caring about it's clear that, yeah, he's been very guarded in some ways and is finally letting some of that down, as well as Penny lets some of his walls down and both of them have gotten really hurt. And even Marina, I think, falls into that as well because she said that there's very few people she lets in. And I'm, I, yeah, I kind of wonder if Marina here is showing an example of where people can go if they put up an impenetrable wall and never let it down. Mm. Where she says she doesn't let many people in and that she actually liked Julia, but she would kill Julia. And she's not broken up about the fact that Julia tried to steal her thing. She's just like, stop it, you know? And so I'm wondering if like it's kind of cautionary in a way that if you put up such high walls and you never let them down, maybe you'll get to the point where you don't actually get hurt anymore. Even when people betray you or abandon you because you just don't care enough. Like you, you never let them in. You were protecting yeah. yourself. And you never raised your expectations. Yeah, about you never trusted them. And in episode two, when Julia was first met Marina, the whole test and the, freezer and all of that she said why would i trust you now and marina said why would you ever trust anyone and so i mm. think like that's very much her stance with people and you see that and how she interacts and that's a place that elliot and penny aren't at yet because clearly they are hurt but if they were just like okay this has happened and i'm never gonna let anyone in again uh, then, yeah, who knows what they would turn into. Mm, yeah. I also liked the conversation between Quentin and Dean Fogg because Quentin is wondering what they're supposed to do now. And Fogg says that there are no answers, Quentin, because we have no idea what's going to happen next. And I think that's kind of following in line with what Mayakovsky said in the last episode, when Katie asked, what is she supposed to do? He said, well, we all do every moment decide. And so it's like, mm. 
yeah, it, it is bringing it into the ambiguous place that I appreciate, and and that's why I I kind of feel like it's it can be very much the quarter life crisis disillusioned time <laughs> where that that the show kind of embraces where things aren't what you hoped they would be or maybe what you're working towards doesn't work and everything is more complicated and usually more sinister and there aren't black and white answers and so yeah i I think that the show kind of operates in the gray a lot and that conversation was yeah just another example of no there there are answers for what you should do next you Mm. just you have to decide Ooh, yeah that's a really good point and i wasn't really thinking about that but that is a really powerful and important part i think of the story here but what about you what are your themes and schemes yeah i had a couple i wanted to talk about the first is also building off of the last episode and mayakovsky's idea of control and i saw a kind of theme of characters struggling under the influence of magic in this episode. We obviously, Penny getting cursed by the blade. Mike is cursed by the beast. So we see some people who are who are actively attacked, essentially, because of magic. But we also see a couple characters who are just trying to resist the influence of magic more generally. Not like an attack by another person, but magic itself. Julia, in rehab, trying to go clear, is in a way trying to get out of the influence of magic on her life, believing that magic itself is toxic for her and that she needs to to remove it from her life completely. And Alice is wary of starting anything with Quentin when she can still feel the influence of the Fox spell on Mm. her, a spell that was not done out of malice or out of attack, but was done to help them kind of survive and learn more about magic. And yet she also still sees how that does complicate her and Quentin's concepts of agency and choice and consent, and that she doesn't want to make any big decisions while that's the case. So yeah, I just, I find it really interesting how we're seeing this kind of theme of control and magic being about controlling the world or controlling others and not being controlled but we're also seeing characters trying to struggle with being possibly controlled by magic itself mm. you know we've already seen this with niffins also where magic has this kind of metaphysical control that it can exert if you utilize it in ways that are dangerous yeah yeah that's interesting and and julia after she did that prayer said it didn't feel like I was doing the casting. It felt like a casting was being done on me mm-hmm. and that it felt dangerous, which, yeah, makes sense. I mean, I, I yeah. would feel uh, very uncomfortable, I'm sure, too. <laughs> yeah, that's a really interesting idea, too, because if this other type of magic, a prayer magic, a, you know, magic from the gods is another form that is about giving up control. It's the exact opposite of the kind of control that we've been seeing people like Fogg and Mayakovsky argue. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's certainly dangers there as well. And 
I find that as a, an interesting theme for the show to bring up because, again, we're only eight episodes in, but they kind of continue to complicate what magic means and how people can relate to magic in ways that I didn't really remember. And I think the slow analysis really helps us to, to see more of how this is a magic system that, you know, doesn't have to be complicated in the logistics of how it works, but it does raise metaphysical questions for the people who live in that world. And that I find really fascinating. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. The other thing I thought was interesting in this episode was this kind of theme of how certain things mean more than people's lives. And at times that can be people, kind of the inverse of what you were talking about earlier, how when you let someone in, those relationships can mean so much to you and how that can be a scary thing. But we also see how other things, both physical and metaphysical and, and, and symbolic, mean a lot to people. Alice cares about her blanket and Penny about this wrapper and Quentin about the Fillory books. I think that's really interesting because it, it parallels Richard's ideas of faith, that you have to believe in something bigger than you, and that people have these things that, that they see as really important, that they put a lot of belief into, that it is meaningful to their lives, and they can be something as basic as a candy bar wrapper, and that meaning is what gives it power, both in their lives and in magic, which is just fascinating. Mm, yeah. And it kind of connected to something else that, that I was noticing in this episode, which was how Quentin believes in and cares about Fillory. That is something that means more to him than anything else. And how much he cares about and finds meaning in those books, but also how little he's done the kind of work that we do on this show. <laughs> how he doesn't think about the symbolism or the meaning behind, for example, the blade that takes the sacrifice of the doll, not because the doll looked like Jane, but because of what the doll meant to Jane. She was giving up her most prized possession, the thing that reminded her of home. And the kind of thing that a close reading like this really gives, where we search for those kinds of larger meanings and metaphors and themes and, and things like that. And it seems like Quentin has remained very comfortable in his childhood interpretation of Fillory, that he revisits Fillory as a way of finding comfort and safety, and that he hasn't challenged himself or challenged the narrative through this kind of analytical process, which certainly for me and for you, this is something that helps us find meaning, helps us love something even more. But it just, yeah, raises a question, I think, for Quentin and maybe for other characters too, of what does it mean to question the things that are meaningful for you and mm -hmm. how that changes your relationship to them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he would be a listener of our podcast, but he wouldn't be a guest. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. No, no, he would not be. Okay, well, let's head into our next segment from another point of view. So what point of view do you want to talk about this week? So like I mentioned before, Elliot. So happy we're getting into more Elliot-heavy plot lines because mm -hmm. I'm like, I want to talk about him, but, you know, <laughs> he's been kind of on the periphery. So I love how the episode opens with him mixing drinks. Yes. 
we know that he mixes drinks. We've seen him do it before. But here, as he's making these drinks, like there's just no joy in what he's doing. Mm. Normally, he has this kind of blasé, superior ease and levity about him when he's in the physical kid's cottage. And here, you can just like feel the pressure coming off of him. And when he says to Quentin that I'm not emotionally prepared for Mike to see me in repeat outfits, like, mm-hmm. really, the sentence could have stopped before to see yeah. me in repeat outfits because, like, he's clearly not emotionally prepared for Mike because he's stressing so much about what he's wearing and the presentation of their meals and, like, making everything extra fabulous and extra special and impressive and yeah you can you can feel the stress in him then when it comes out when he decides to confide in mike that he came from a family of farmers in indiana and that becoming him was the greatest creative project of his life such a great line (laughs) so great yeah, you can you can see the vulnerability because he says that Margot is the only other person here who knows. And the only reason she knows is because they were each other's truth partner for mm-hmm. that last spell during their exams. And he's just let everyone else believe that he grew up summering with Kennedys. You can just feel how kind of awkward and exposed he is after divulging his farmer ancestry he says um well here i am and it's just like such a sweet little line that Mm. shows the vulnerability of this is me like not only is this my background but i care about the presentation i have so carefully crafted of myself so much that i just let other people believe that that's been my whole life and i don't really let anyone else know me uh, and know anything clearly about his life prior to getting to break bills Mm. it was just like a really really sad moment because i don't personally have a lot of difficulty talking about my own you know dysfunctional abusive home in the past people ask me or you know if i'm opening up in that way or recording a podcast yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) i know i could go into details if people ask me but (laughs) but letting people see me currently vulnerable this is what's much more difficult for me. Like crying Mm. in front of people, explaining something maybe I feel insecure about, etc. Like it's the current stuff, it's the current pain that is more what I want to shield or put put a shield, a, a barrier between me and other people. And so I was just kind of trying to feel that, but for what Elliot was feeling with his past. Like, this is something he's insecure about. This is something that 
he doesn't want to let people into and he wants to have that wall and taking that wall down is difficult he would rather go on being stressed and performing than let people know where he's really from mm. then when he does tell mike and mike well <laughs> mike quote unquote <laughs> and mike accepts him for it i can see why elliot is so devastated and hurt by finding out that mike is not who he thought he was and yeah. And, and, you know, I, I'm sure I will choose Elliot again for POV <laughs> uh, as we kind of see the aftermath of this. Not only the news that this person that he thought he was interacting with in a genuine, unveiled way for the first time, really. And then to find out that whoever he was actually interacting with didn't like him. It had nothing mm -hmm. to do with that. It was all strategic manipulation. When he revealed to them his highest governing internal circumstance. Yeah, I just think it's it's really tragic for him and just gives so much more to his character. How he's been acting thus far, even though he can be delightful and enjoyable, uh, but there's so much more there going on sometimes it seems like for him he needs someone else to be vulnerable first uh mm -hmm. like with quentin before that quentin was saying that he was basically alluding to he's had suicidal ideation and hasn't wanted to be alive and then elliot told him about the first time he ever used magic and and killed someone and then here we have mike saying i'm afraid that you'll get bored of me then he's like okay i can i can open up and and tell you something more and so even in his vulnerability i think at this point it still only comes when someone else is vulnerable first and, mm -hmm. and i think that just really speaks to how how many walls he has up yeah i i was just feeling for him Absolutely. And I, I even the scene where he's talking to Mike or not Mike in the non-magical chamber and he asks if he was blacked out when they met and Mike doesn't respond and, and there's no lines for the rest of that scene, but just his performance there is so tragic. It, you can feel so much of that as he is digesting this awful, awful truth. Which especially makes me angry how we don't see Elliot learn that Mike attacked Quentin and Penny. Mm -hmm. We go from the attack to the waiting room where Elliot's already there with Quentin. I think that we should have been able to see the conversation where, the first, where someone has to talk to Elliot and tell him that Mike attacked them. And for Elliot to have to deal with what that means and... I mean, I'm sure that, that that performance would have been amazing, too. And I just feel like we were robbed not being able to see that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because a part of me likes that we didn't see it because the first thing that we see is Elliot not even saying anything. There's a conversation mm -hmm. happening between Alice and Quentin about the situation. And Elliot is just there with his flask drinking. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like you see his reaction in his coping mechanism, uh, which yeah. I, th- I think is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. This is when I, I first started realizing how, like, compelling a character Elliot was beyond just how mm. delightful he was and how likable. But, like, yeah, I just think that he's such a an amazing character and, and his performance here, again, is just exceptional. Mm-hmm. Oh, Elliot, we love you. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we talk about whoever your point of view is? Yeah, so I want to talk about Alice. Mm. I find her really fascinating in this episode how how she is really cautious about entering something with Quentin and how she wants to spend some time apart so that she knows what's real. I think that's a really mature way of engaging with what's happening, even if I think it's also hiding some of her own vulnerability with the situation. I think that that is smart rationale for her to have. Absolutely. Especially as she's getting with Quentin, who is someone who she already has seen some of how he gets caught up in narratives and things like that. I can imagine her feeling vulnerable and being anxious and worried about him making any decisions if he's not doing so clear-headed, but if he's doing so because he has a belief rather than because he's thought something through or he's really spent time with what his feelings are. As someone who is probably more like Quentin in this kind of aspect than I, I am know, Alice. I know, here it's very much you and me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I find it particularly compelling to think through, you know, what she might be feeling in these moments, what it might be like for her to see Quentin's frustration, to see him show up to her study group, even though he wasn't assigned to it, how upsetting that might be. It honestly reminded me of one of the best podcast I've ever listened to. It was by a podcast that's no longer running called The Heart. I think it, uh, they played the episode on episodes on Radiolab as well, but it was a miniseries just called No, and it was exploring ideas and consent and how women are often socialized in ways, and men are socialized in ways, where women saying no is not taken seriously. The baby, it's cold outside. Yeah, exactly. How men will just kind of chip away at the nose until it becomes a yes. You know, the idea that they're playing hard to get, like all these other kinds of elements. And it's a really powerful and profound exploration of that. I'd highly recommend them. I think they were on one of our monthly recommendations uh, a couple of years ago, uh, just because I find them so, so powerful. But that really came to mind here with Quentin going behind her back and manipulating the situation so he can spend time with her, even though she made clear that she doesn't want that right now. All of that just made me really kind of understand the frustration that is building in her throughout this episode when she talks to Penny and they talk about how neither of them want to rely on or care about people when they're looking through Penny's stuff and she's frustrated with Quentin and she says, you're fungible. Um, <laughs> like, I think it's it's illustrative of how, though I think she clearly does have feelings for Quentin, she's also frustrated with him and frustrated with the way that he is going about everything that's happening between them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I very much understand Alice here, where it's mm-hmm. just like, let's be logical about this, where uh, a lot of people aren't when it comes to romance or attraction or things like that. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. This coming from someone who, <laughs> when I was in high school and people were getting into relationships and stuff and people would confess their feelings to me or whatever. And I, I was just always like, why would I get in a relationship in high school? It's not going to last. I don't know. It just felt like we're too young and don't even know ourselves. <laughs> why why do I want to put my energy into this? <laughs> <laughs> well, that actually kind of brings me to my other thing that I, I noticed in this episode was her conversation with Penny, where he makes it clear that everyone knows about what happened in Breakville South and yeah. how they saw it out the windows and things. I could just imagine Alice's feelings of shame that she might be feeling at that moment. You know, she's already struggling with the fact that she doesn't know what's real and Quentin might not know what's real and, and what's Fox, what is this influence, this magical influence they've been under. And then to have their entire class have seen her at the most, you know, the pinnacle of that moment of being out of control must be just really, really hard to further accentuate the ways in which we are very different people. It reminded me of when I was in high school. Oh, no. Well, the time that I had the worst abuse of alcohol that I've had in my life, where I drank far too much uh, in a way that I was not even aware that I was unprepared for. That night, I fell and injured myself pretty, pretty badly. The next day, I was so ashamed that you know, the people who were hearing about it were calling me, were worried about me, and I just refused to pick up or to talk to anyone because I didn't want anyone to see me after having seen me lose all my control. I, I felt that, that huge amount of shame there. And so, yeah, it just, I, I could imagine Alice feeling something similar here, and that would further affect her negative feelings about the situation and everything that's happened where... For Quentin, you know, at the end of the last episode, we, we, we heard how it's powerful for him to have this kind of fox mentality where he knows what to do, how to survive, how to be happy. But for Alice, that was frightening and that was something that was not illuminating and something that instead threatened to cause her to make bad choices and to not be aware of what is a bad choice and, and how hard that is for her. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's just a really good contrast between her and Quentin and, and as they you know kiss at the end of the episode they're, they're clearly starting a relationship it's highlighting some of the profound differences in their characters and their motivations at the beginning of this relationship that I think are really important yeah where Quentin liked not being himself mm -hmm. Alice didn't like not being herself I totally get that I mean I would be horrified <laughs> if I was the fox. I mean, I <laughs> I probably would have passed my tests and not waited <laughs> for him to begin with. But I... <laughs> people think it's weird because it's a very uncommon, but I've never been drunk because I'm like, I don't want to do th something, say something that I wouldn't do if I was sober, you know? Like, why would I want to make my decisions that way? It feels creepy. It feels stressful. It feels like... No, I want to have, like, all of my faculties about me, <laughs> you know, uh, mm. so that I I feel fully myself as I'm, I'm interacting with people. Whereas I love the fact that it lowers my anxiety. 
Exactly. Exactly. That's why I said that in this in this circumstance, so we're we're pretty Alice and Quentin here. Very much so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I I tried to put myself in the shoes of the character who I understand less, but who also is being more mature and responsible and wise here too. Good job, Chris. Yeah, it was a novel experience. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's wrap up the episode by revisiting the title of the episode, The Strangled Heart. What do you think about that title? It's dramatic, (laughs) but I think it totally works. I like it for the episode because you know exactly what is in the episode. And like I was talking about earlier, I think that it's not just Penny who has the danger of having his heart strangled by the vines, but it's other characters as well who are all dealing with a a strangled heart in in some sort of way. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I think it's a good one. Okay, well, that'll probably wrap up this week. So what's happening next time on The Magicians? We're going to be discussing episode nine, The Writing Room, where Quentin and friends look for a button. Exciting. So exciting, right? (laughs) Okay, well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. Find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. We hope that you join us on Patreon so you can get access to all the fun extra content, including our fan meetups over Zoom to talk about the magicians. Yeah, just a reminder, our first magicians meetup is going to be happening on Saturday, June 3rd at 12.30 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. Yeah, it's going to be super fun. It's chill. You don't have to be intimidated. When we did our Hunger Games read-through, the meetups were such an awesome time where we could just geek out and there was like 20-year span of ages and like, yeah, it was it was really cool. So if you would like to also geek out with us, join our Patreon. You can get access to everything starting at one dollar and we have socialized our perks so everyone who's a patron no matter how much they can contribute per month gets the same perks. So yeah, we would love to have you. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek geek out. out!